0: This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show featuring conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and outdoor hospitality experts who share their insights to help your business succeed. Hosted by Brian Searle, the founder and CEO of Insider Perks, empowered by insights from Modern Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry.
1: to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks. Excited to be here for another show with you guys and some special guests we have here, as well as our one lone recurring guest who decided to show up this week, Greg Emmert, which you could make up for everyone. Greg, like you're talking. Absolutely.
2: About, right? I'll carry it. I got it. I got it covered.
1: Because I'm going to leave. I'm just... Can I leave? Why not? Uh, clock out. Yeah, but super excited to be here with everybody. I'm like, in this dark, I'm in my office, right? But I'd rather watch, rather be outside, but it's been super cold here in Calgary for the last few weeks. I was telling him before the show is negative 40 Celsius. So I could go out there and I did, I talked to Lisa Gregg, who's my sales business development lady and told her right if on. she gave me a bucks, I would go outside in the negative 40 and do this. She wouldn't
2: do it. Oh man, if I'd have known, I would have covered the other half just to see the show with you outside. I've got the warm clothes, so I'm fine. Anyway, so super excited to welcome Marsha and Kaylee to
1: the show. We're gonna to talk to them a little bit about their unique businesses and things that they have going on. So do you want to just start and just go around the room and just have everybody briefly introduce themselves? i want to start Marsha since maybe Kaylee is frozen. frozen
3: again. <laughs> it is pretty cold in Texas. I know. Um, oh yeah, yeah. She could
1: literally be frozen. That could be an emergency.
3: They don't know how to handle it down there. Yeah. Uh, hi everyone. I am Masha Galvin. My main hat is I am one of the family members of Normandy Farms Campground in Foxborough, Massachusetts. We've got about a 400 RV site park and open seasonally. Also the hat I'm wearing today also is the president of NCA, which is the Northeast Campground Association. So I'm excited to be here and talk about that.
1: Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely want to talk about your conference that's upcoming in March. I'm still deciding whether I can go again. So like we, we were there, like we supported NCA for many years. New Cindy, mm-hmm. loved her, great, awesome, amazing woman. It's really expensive to fly there from Canada. So yeah. I'll, I'll at least probably get a booth and send my business development person. But I don't know if great. There, so. uh, but yeah, but remind me, we'll definitely talk about that conference too, because that's a great topic to have. Yeah. Conferences and things like that. Greg, do you want to briefly introduce yourself?
2: Absolutely. Thanks for, uh, thank you for having me on again, Brian. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm Greg Emmert. I'm co-founder at Camp Strategy. My partner, Jeff Hoffman, and I just recently formed up this group as a consulting and professional advisory group to uh, all manner of outdoor hospitality folks. So campgrounds, lampgrounds, anything. If you've got outdoor accommodations or part of the outdoor hospitality community, that's who we serve.
1: That's really good news because I just bought a tent at Walmart for my balcony and I'm having trouble getting people to occupy
2: it. I can do that. I can fix that. We can. Fi- I know a guy that's really good in marketing will drive some traffic to your to yeah, your you location.
1: Could, I need a discount though. I feel like I don't have the revenue to support your services yet. But I'm I gonna think get, I can help you. I'm going to buy two tents next week.
2: <laughs> Double your occupancy. There you go. Double your revenue. You're that's off and running. Can.
1: You just, yeah, forget about anything. Just buy more, build more. It's right. Build it, work for Kevin Costner it's timeless <laughs> you're
2: right about that build it they're gonna Kaylee be
1: there really wants to join us but oh, she she's does just not having a good internet connection there so we'll introduce Kaylee let's see do oh, I have a thing like I have a thing on my little slack right that says who she is so Kaylee pace is the co-owner of big Techs campground she is going to shed some light on how her and her husband embarked on the journey of establishing Big Tech's campground and, and provide valuable insights and inspirations for aspiring campground. Hopefully, we'll get her back because that sounds interesting. Ooh, maybe there she is again. We'll see. I'm yeah.
4: trying. There she <laughs> Everything, goes. Everything's frozen down here, I swear, including my computer. <laughs> uh, am I introducing myself? Is that where yeah. we are?
1: Yep, absolutely. I did a terrible job of introducing you, so please, whatever. Oh, I didn't.
4: I- I wasn't sure because my computer kept freezing up on me. Yes. So I'm Kaylee. I'm a co-founder of Big Tech's Campgrounds. My husband and I set off on this journey to build this campground last year. We documented the whole thing on TikTok and online so people could watch our journey. He was a pipeliner and then I raised my daughter in an RV while I was going to college. So we both lived in RVs. We both lived the RV life and we brought our passions together to build our campground. And we're currently... We're currently expanding right now. We have 16 sites and uh, I don't know, it's just been a journey. It's been awesome. So that's a little bit of our story.
1: Why don't we start with you just in case your internet connection decides <laughs> to go out again. I did, I did I mean,
4: switch. I you know
1: it's not your so. fault. You were talking about literally you were frozen because it's so cold. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, I, I love how y'all took a spin on that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
1: have intelligent people on the show for to compensate for my lack of wit and humor and all that.
4: always good teamwork, right? um,
1: Yes, for sure. So tell us a little bit about like, how did the idea for Big Tech's Campground get started way back? Right? What was the original idea?
4: Going back to it, my husband and I, whenever we first met, we actually connected on the fact that we wanted to build an RV park and of course, We debated on which way to do it. He was like, we should do it this way. We should do it that way whenever we first started meeting, because like I was saying, he did pipelines. So he traveled throughout Texas, saw all the things that he liked and what he didn't like. He did heavy equipment operating for years. I think he's going on, I think his 18th year of operating. He saw how the drainage worked, how everything, what he liked and what he didn't like as far as how the layout was at the park. And then in 2013, before I met him, I was living in a camper with my daughter, before it became this trend, right? And what I loved about campgrounds was the people and the camaraderie and how everybody came together. It's just, it's a beautiful thing. And I think unless you've actually lived in a full-time RV life, it's hard to explain, but it's like having neighbors that are actually neighbors. Again, I don't, it's hard to explain, but you can live in an apartment for 10 years and never get to know the people around you but that's impossible me. to do in a campground
1: me i'm stuck behind a screen all day i don't know my neighbor he's a doctor
4: it's just i did too and then whenever i lived in an rv park i had people over at my house all the time everybody's always outside barbecuing and i got to raise my daughter good and slow and then so whenever me and josh met we talked about that and we talked about how we would do it and then it became a reality seven years later after we've been dating so and then you we just-
1: are, are you is big is big Texas a transient or seasonal or mix or
4: uh full year round because the weather here in Texas is usually it's a slightly bipolar but it's not cold enough <laughs> to completely shut down the park it's tolerable so we we do all year round
1: Use that what I guess what I meant is long term camping or overnight short term
4: both we have people that are staying there a long time and then we have people that come and we have this flea market trade days thing Canton trade days and it's 10 minutes away from us. So we have a lot of people that come for that daily, weekly people. And then we have people that live there and make it their home.
1: I so. was oh, just curious, cause you guys said in the beginning, you disagreed with each other on originally how it should be done a little bit. Right? So I didn't know if him being the pipeline worker, he wanted the party campground with all his buddies where he could drink or, <laughs> or he was like, no, those guys don't behave well at all. We definitely want transients in here. Or it's so- uh,
4: it, we disagreed. We disagreed on, on how it should be done. And like where to put things, like where to, like for him, he was more or less like concerned about the layout because he thinks with, with an operator excavation type work, like he thinks with that kind of brain, like, as far as that goes, I was thinking more like, how can we make it fun? So it actually was, it it was just like how it normally is. We were actually on agreement on the same things. It was just bringing it to life together. So if you do look at our campground, you'll see that we went with the trees, not through the trees. So we par- we cherry-picked all of our spots. Looking back, I can understand, though, why RV parks do it without trees 100%. The way you lay the utilities and things like that is a lot more difficult if you have nature involved. But I'm more or less kind of bringing the human element to it. He brings the beautification element to it, if that makes any sense.
1: For sure, yeah. yeah. It's good that you complement each other's skills.
4: Yes, So definitely. which
1: one's the TikTok dancer?
4: Oh my gosh, TikTok was surprising. That was one social media channel that we did not think was going to take off at all. Our most viral video, we hit over a million views on it. And then after that followers started coming in, but it was, it was me. He was digging a ditch for the pipe and he made these little steps for me to get out of the ditch. And I was like, he was like, here you go princess. Cause he made me little steps. And I said, princesses don't work in ditches, Josh. And then that just went viral and went crazy. And then after that, we got a whole bunch of followers. And that's where we started getting people involved with the journey. So,
1: Very cool. Yeah. What are your future plans look like for Big Tech's campgrounds before we move on? And I want to talk to Marsha a little bit. And then obviously we'll cross-mingle the rest of the show. Yeah.
4: So we have we are finishing out phase one right now, which is 34 campers total. And then we're going to... Build the pond. We're 100% self-funded also. like We don't have any anybody really contributing as far as financially is concerned. Had a few here and there, but we are 100% self-funded, just regular people. So we're doing it in a way to where we can expand without having to tap into our equity and stuff like that just yet. So we're doing the 34 spots. We're building a pond. We're going to sell the material and then we're going to build the back 34 spots. And then we're going to have some, then we're all, then we're going to work on the cabins and the tents and the all that fun stuff. What we're really wanting to do is we're wanting to build like a 1980s style campground, Marcia. Uh mm-hmm. and uh, we're wanting to have a swimming pond uh, because it's Texas. So we do have swimming ponds here as far as that goes, um, with a beach, a jumping deck, rope swings, just how it was among the trees. And that's our overall goal is to get it to where it's functioning like you would be camping in the eighties under the trees and swimming and playing outside and doing stuff like that. So that's the future.
1: Very cool. Thank you for sharing a little bit of it. And obviously we'll bring up some discussions where we can all talk together later, right? Depending on how well the show goes and all that kind of stuff. So feel free to stick around. Love to hear your input. If there's anything you want to add, just don't feel like you have to wait for your turn. Marsha, Normandy Farms. I feel like someone's heard that name before somewhere in the industry. I can't remember where, but tell (laughs) us about
3: it. Normandy Farms. Yes. My family has been operating Normandy Farms Campground in Foxborough since 1971. That's when my dad decided to write a business plan because our we had a farm before that. The land has been in the family since 1759. So it's been generations over generations using the land for some purpose of making a living. And it was farming all the way up until the mid-60s. And my dad was a farmer and he just decided that really the, the farming was going by the wayside. My grandfather was a trucker and he had been back and forth across the country many times and they were also avid campers they had an airstream and so he said why don't we open up an rv park there's not any in the area basically we were in the boston area there really weren't any so we he wrote a business plan for 25 campsites and we used our backyard swimming pool as the first pool that we had for the campground and and it started off small and now we're now we're 10 generations. I have a granddaughter and we have a few of us here working in the family, but we've got 400 campsites and about 120 staff members when we're open fully in the season.
1: Awesome. All right. My opening question is this. In 1758, when your ancestor came upon the land, what was the first thing that popped into his head when he saw the land before he wanted to buy it? You should know this, right? This is. I should situation.
3: know that. I know what kind of situation he was in, though. He was just. Okay, I
1: want to hear. It. I'm curious. He was
3: captured. I, he I wasn't was expecting the- you
1: have an answer at all. So.
3: Okay, he was captured. He was. He became. He was in the French army, and he became sick, and he was heading back to France, and his boat was captured by an American um, pirate type ship. Brought back to Boston, he was enslaved in Rentham, Mass, which is just the same next town over from us, and he became friendly with the jail's. the jail keeper, who knew somebody in Rentham that needed some hired help. So when he got out of jail, he went to work for the person that owned the land prior to him buying the land on June 6, 1759, 53 acres with the money that he earned from working after he got released out of the jail.
1: So what I'm hearing is that if it was not for piracy, which you have to clearly support, exactly here today.
3: Yes, that's right. Yeah. So we're, we've got a little bit of that that fun part of us in us. <laughs>
1: that's good. It's always, it fascinates me. Like I wasn't yeah. really expecting an answer, but you mentioned the year specifically. So that's a long history. And yeah, it is. Interesting to think what the land and all the surrounding area looked like way back then. But yeah. So tell me, obviously Normandy Farms is a name that a lot of people in the industry have heard before, right? You've been here a long time, but also you've done a lot of good things and a lot of people have looked to you guys for advice. What are some of the things that you feel like have, set you apart over the years? Um, Really define Normandy Farms.
3: That's a great question. The things that we hear the most are cleanliness and guest service. Our bathrooms are cleaner than my bathroom at home. The facilities are maintained at a high level so that everything looks like it's brand new even though we've been open 53 years. So we maintain that level of attention to detail and cleanliness. And then I think the other thing would be guest service and just being, having having a culture that is very accepting and feeling safe, like our guests love that they come and they feel safe. The kids can ride their bikes like it's 1980 and they don't have to worry. So it's really a a little, it's a community that we've built, I think, around values and around open space and the love of nature and and giving back basically.
1: I don't know where you guys grew up, but I grew up in the 80s and there was some shady stuff going on in my area in the (laughs) 80s. I don't know, like maybe the 60s and 70s. I'm with you, but I don't know. Yeah. So what are some of the so as you look through this history, right, 70s to today and and again, how many years have you actively been involved?
3: I took some time off. Honestly, I grew up at the campground as a kid and then went off to college. I was a teacher for elementary school teacher for nine years and then started having children and I came back. So. I've been in my adult role for over 25 years in this role here.
1: How do you think your perception of the campground has changed from child to adult? Do you look at it differently? Do you see it differently? Do you, obviously a little bit, right? Through child eyes and adult eyes. I'm just curious.
3: I think through a child's eyes, you would see things as all fun and games. And as an adult, you're worried about everything, the insurance, the the liability, safety, uh, Board of Health regulations, there's a lot to do um, in a campground. It's in an entire community. It needs its own mayor and fire department type of stuff. You really have to have the fire extinguishers and, and the manuals and it's all encompassing. It's a lot more than just, a, just what I thought would have been a campground when I was a kid.
1: One thing I think that interests me is just the generational aspect of Normandy Farms. And I think that we, I, I work with hundreds of clients from a marketing perspective. Greg knows a lot of people. Kaylee's going to know a lot of people soon. But <laughs> is the generational aspect of we talk to so many people and they're like, I wish my son and daughter would show an interest. Or And so how do you think you've been able to not fall into that trap at Normandy Farms and keep people engaged and involved?
3: It's not easy. Believe me. We've had we've used succession planners attorneys and land trusts and we've worked and it was started with a lot of screaming and yelling to be quite honest but i think in the end to be able to go from one generation to the other there has to be clear communication and transparency and trust and i think if you have you start off with those things then then it's not The next generation isn't going to be so scared of what they're getting themselves into. I think it used to be a lot of quarters in the trunk type of stuff coming from the game room, where now it's what you're getting into is a business and what you're putting in is your entire life. Because the work-life balance, really, I live on property um, and I I could drive a golf cart to the office and I wouldn't have it any other way. I love what I do. And that's key. You have to, for someone to come into the business, you have to really enjoy it. You can't be forced. You can't be persuaded or bought, or it has to be something that you want. Like I wanted to come back from teaching because I thought it was going to be a good experience with the work-life balance for raising children and being able to work. And I was able to bring my kids to work. Casey knows that too. It's really, it's a great way to live. And I think if you, if the campground owners now can portray Honestly, with this climate that we live outside of our bubble, if we could have our children grow up in a campground, that is going to make the complete difference in the world because it's controlled and it's when you can make it what you want it. It's a great way to bring up kids. So I think generationally, my my oldest daughter is uh, 30. She's going to be 31 and I have a granddaughter. There's talk about her potentially coming back. And we all we require, we have a code of conduct for the family. We require anybody in the family that wants to come back to go out and work for at least two years before they come back. And then they can't come back and we create a position. There has to be an opening with the skill set that they bring. Basically, my sister and I, we fell into two places that we fit. I'm more of the outside person and she's more of the behind the scenes business part of it. And, and we complement each other really well. So it, it's worked out well that way. It doesn't always.
1: I think it would be interesting to spend a couple of minutes because Greg said he was going to pick up the slack from everybody else who wasn't showing up this week to talk a little bit about that generational stuff, because it's a thing that I think comes up quite a bit. There's classes at it at conferences, and we'll talk about NCA in, in a minute and your role there and, and all that kind of stuff. But There's a lot of people, I think, who struggle with this, and maybe it's worth spending 10 minutes on to talk, because Greg, I'm having you lead this too, right? Obviously, you were part of a generational campground too, when you owned your property with your parents, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. They they purchased it in 94. I was 20. And and oddly enough, so the folks we bought it from, um, this is, I I may be tooting my own horn a little bit here, but my parents were uh, mid-50s when they bought it. My dad's idea was we're going to buy this campground. This is what I'm going to do in retirement. And the owner there being a guy who had been doing it for 17 years was like, that's not going to fly. And I don't even know if I want to sell this place to you. And so I started to become part of the negotiations. And as they got to know me, they said, okay, we'll sell it to you one condition he's a full-time employee. Like he's, he gets some, something, some share of the property and some, so I was a small shareholder right from the beginning because they recognize that this is not something you do for your retirement. This is more than a full-time job. I don't like to use the word lifestyle. It, it becomes one, but it's more than a lifestyle. It's, it really is. It's all income. I get lifestyle is the best word to use, but It becomes a lifestyle, at least the way we did it, because we were owner operators. We were fully self-funded like Kaylee. We didn't have a big staff. It was go in the closet with all the hats and put on whichever one you got to wear today and get out and get it done. And so then, yeah, then as time went on, we looked at instead of a sale, passing it along to me, but... The way we had built it along the way we all nobody was taking anything out of it we were putting everything back into the property so the only way for my parents to get a proper retirement was to in fact sell it off but yeah if there are folks out there watching right now and you're not listening really closely to marsha pay attention if you're somewhere along the way where you're thinking about about selling it off or handing it off because she's got it handled really well especially the the kind of systems you have set up in there marsha to If a family member wants in, they've got to go for two years and then come back and bring something legitimate to it. It turns it from I'm going to get this thing from my family into something that they're going to take very seriously and plan for and execute. And it's really hard. I think the camping industry, obviously it's the one that I know the best outdoor hospitality, but I talk to folks in all sorts of different businesses and I think we've got the handoff thing, the generational part of it. I think it's worse for us than others because. Folks, they own their park a long time. They get really comfortable running it the way they are. And then as it gets harder and they get older and they start to realize, I don't have a family member to hand this off to maybe instead of trying to scale it up and make it more valuable for a sale, they start to scale back because they need their workload to be easier on them. They need it to be less taxing because they've been doing it for 60 years and now they're in their eighties and they don't know what they're going to do then it pushes up against a sale and they've got a part that's not worth what it should be. So yeah, I've Marsha, I hope folks are listening to you and what you said and flutter inbox folks, because she's got really excellent insights on this. And even if you think it's 10 or 15 years out, it is not too soon to start planning for, for your exit strategy, whether it be sale, family handoff, generational succession, whatever it is, start thinking about it right now, because it's it, it just appears before you without you even knowing it.
1: I'd love to just sit here and shut up while you two ask each other a couple questions.
2: Sure. And I won't ask anything like what was Marsha's ancestor thinking in 1641 <laughs>
1: before? Keely, you can pop in too. I'm
4: just taking it all in. I'm the new kid.
2: Yeah. How did you build that system, Marcia? I will take over. I don't know. How did you come to build that? There had to be some sort of genesis for that. Uh, was it just over time you realized that's what you wanted to do? Or was there a moment that made you go, geez, we really have to look at this more seriously?
3: I think it was a lot of it had to do with going to ARVIC conferences because I've done that like my entire life. And I was ARVIC chair for a while in the twenty around 2015. My dad was chairman 30 years before that. So We've always been involved with the association, and we had met um, this gentleman through the association. Um, his name's Mike Henning, and he was big in the secession planning um, of campgrounds at that time back, I don't know, back 20 years ago, maybe. Or so, 30, maybe 30 years ago. And, and so we were just being proactive, looking ahead, who was going to be working it. There were a lot more cousins involved at that time when we were all, oh, we're going to run it together. We're going to be one board. And we always, we had these grandiose, grandiose ideas, but we really needed to bring them and dial them down to see what was actually going to work. So it was a lot of working through the weeds, but just really looking at hiring professionals that could help us because it wasn't something that we could do at all it, on our own.
2: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Just because somebody's in the family and thinks it's going to be a a fun time or a a good thing to do doesn't mean that they're going to be qualified for it. And first and foremost, you owe it to your family members who already have a vested interest and to your customers to hire people that are actually qualified, put them into position to succeed and and let them do their thing. But Mm -hmm. not to just say, hey, Bob's really interested. Let's go see if we can trade him the park for a case of beer and just turn it over to him. It's Exactly. Very important, especially when it's been in your family that long, that's got to feel like that is Galvin DNA, that, that place that's, That's... you you all must be bleeding and exuding that park. Yeah. I I can't even imagine. I felt tied to mine after 26 years. It was just us. It was mom and dad and I, this is, you've got such history there. That's it's, and it's really wonderful that you've been able to stay that long. That's awfully rare.
3: Yeah, it is. And you don't want to be the one to like, let it go. I'm working as hard as I can along with my sister to continue so that we can be passed on to the next generation and just keep it rolling down.
4: I have a question. I have a question about that. Have you noticed throughout the years, the different the different demographics that are coming to your campground? I'd mentioned this in the email thinking about it. We have the people that are older that are retiring and that used to be our largest market. But what we're starting to see now is we're starting to see a lot of people coming in that are not able to afford housing. So they're traveling and they're doing more long-term stays or full-term stays. Kids that are right out of college, seeing that a lot now too. And then as somebody that's a little bit, I've been the younger side, but I grew up with tape cassettes. So I have both sides of it or whatnot. But something that I'm noticing is the, the difficulty in having to, especially with you guys who y'all have had to adapt to overcome for years and years. With the next generation coming in for you guys, is that kind of something that they're teaching you guys and y'all are teaching them at the same time?
3: You know, That's a great question. And we do a lot of work on generations with our staff because we had somebody working with us that was 82 years old this year and we have 14 year olds. So there, there's a lot of different, you have the boomers way of thinking, their way, their business drive, their way of thinking. And then you've got the Gen Z's and the, the millennials. Everyone has a different way of perceiving their job or their responsibilities. And um, so we do a lot of training, a lot of training. We involve, pull it right into NCA. We will send our managers to the conferences. I think the, the great thing is education has become so widely available, whether you're doing webinars or going physically to a conference, whatever you're doing. I think the key is that you don't stop. You're continually learning and growing, and being aware of the ch- the times, and listening, listening to your guests, listening to your to your staff, listening to your family, and and then making be- best business decisions. I think we have a lot to learn from the generations that are coming up on different ways to be. I'm finding we've one thing we had was we had about 30 different activities a day before COVID, I'll just say BC, where it would be like three per hour for different age groups. Now, since that, that's not what they want. They want more time with their family sitting by a campfire and having unstructured time. You know? I'm
4: noticing that too, actually. I'm noticing a lot of people that are really starting to pull back towards that nostalgic era, whether that be through being under the trees, like what we offer at ours. And I've seen that you guys have that too, but just being more in nature and camping, like just that nostalgia, it's starting to really come back. In fact, actually I saw something on Facebook earlier where I was scrolling and, and Pizza Hut did a restoration to go back to the nineties version where they had those Pizza Hut lights and everything like that. And they, and everybody was just so excited about it. I'm like, hey, McDonald's, are you listening? We want those <laughs> places back and stuff. Um, speaking of which, with the simplicity of campfires and people wanting to go back, what kind of amenities are you guys seeing that are low cost amenities, but that bring the most, that I guess entice people more. something I'm noticing is campgrounds spending a lot of money on amenities that not as many people use versus spending money less on amenities that people can use. So is there anything to point out that work for you guys?
3: Yeah, that's a great question too, because what we've built lately um, are some pavilions, open air pavilions, and we've been having more Uh, beer fests or food truck festivals um, in that space. So having live entertainment, serving, having the food trucks offering their food, beer sales, games for the kids, that type of festival type of gathering seems to be more popular now than building a water park. Just those kind of things. We, We have an open space that we're thinking about putting in a labyrinth something with wildflowers and hosting meditation because we do yoga. We have a wellness center. So things that aren't costing a lot of money, like RC track, that has been super popular, easy to design, put in. You could really make it huge. And we've got grandstands and stuff, but you can do it pretty simple. But that's an amenity that you go down to Walmart, you buy your RC car and the kids are happy all day long and it doesn't cost the parents a lot of money. Yeah, it doesn't a campground a lot of money either.
4: Exactly. And it's nature trails, bike trails. That's also something that's coming along too. It takes up the land and the space. I was talking to Josh about that whenever we're developing our next, our back half, because we're separating our dailies from our monthlies. You guys were asking earlier, what kind of campground y'all have? And with it being a, a full year round campground, it's something that we are, we're expanding to where we're like, okay, we want the daily people in the front, the long-term people in the back, give them that privacy, give them that quietness. And then the people in the front, they're here to have a good time. Mm -hmm. And and something that we're gonna do in the back while we're developing is we're just gonna do a little nature trail where the future part's gonna be until we get there. Mm -hmm. And we feel like that's gonna help out a lot for sure. Definitely. This this is interesting
1: because I don't think that it's so I'm gonna say something that maybe is controversial. And you guys who are the smart people who actually own the parks or did own the (laughs) park in today's case can tell me I'm crazy. But I don't think this is nostalgia. I think this has always been here. I think the private parks chose to move in a different direction where there was also an audience and still is, right? But I think those people who preferred the outdoor trail, less, I don't know, commercialized, if you want to say that experience, Mm -hmm. just went to state parks. Yeah. So I I think they've always been here. And I think it's great that in some cases we're able to recruit that at some of the private park experiences.
4: Yeah. We call ourselves a fun size state park. Because we're not, we're not as big as one and we don't offer everything, but it's in the woods and it's in the trees and it has privacy. So I think the state park part is, is big too, because that is what we went to in the 80s a lot of times, honestly. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah,
1: I think it's, again, it's just like all the activities. I think some, certainly there's a place for that, right? Yogi Bear parks and stuff like yes. that, right? Yes. But I, I think that there's a lot of people who overthink that. Mm-hmm. I don't think you need to do as much as you think you need to do sometimes.
4: Mm-hmm. Good point.
2: Yep, hundred percent. And, and really the younger crowd now with, with boomers aging out, still being a, a, a decent sized chunk of, of campers and RVers, they're aging out and you've got X and millennials making up the biggest chunk of customers right now. And both of those groups, I'm an Xer. Uh, my wife is a very early millennial. We are looking for experiences. Boomers like stuff, right? The The boomers will come in and clear out your gift shop. The millennials and the Xers, they want to know what experience can I have at your place? What oh, memory can I out, take I
1: don't want to just point out briefly yeah. that like, the yeah. clearing out of the gift shop is an
2: experience. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. All right. All right. Point well taken because you're right. It's especially an experience for the park manager who's watching their sales go up. They're like, <laughs> but yeah, they want experiences. And that's to your point about the natural world. That is that is exactly what I started to do with my park when I got the reins completely about 10, 12 years before we sold it, we had a lot of space that wasn't being used. And we had a lot of mowing for mowing's sake, and it was just silly. And I'm a conservationist and a a nerd. And so I built trails and I built my recreation program around experiential things, hikes, different themed hikes, different times of the year, different programs, even my craft activities got cheaper and cheaper because we'd use stuff we found on the campground. But You're right, Brian. People, people overthink that and they don't build enough experience in, and that's the, the open air pavilions with the food trucks. That's an experience. What I always used to worry about, especially being a KOA is we were, what, if I go on vacation with my kids and we go to 10 different KOAs and take this big road trip, am I going to remember one Koa from another, or is it going to be like walking past the perfume counter in the department store where everybody is squirting at you and all of a sudden everything smells the same. I don't remember what any of this stuff is. So I built experiences at my park. I made it very conservation-based, and people remembered me for that. So it's really just figuring out what flavor you are, like Fun yes. Size State Park. That's yep. your flavor, right? We're yep. strawberry. The guy down the street's vanilla. I don't care about vanilla customers. He can have them. These right. are my strawberry customers. That's who I'm going for, right? That if some people so want to taste a little bit of both, they can come down here. But figure out what flavor you are and stick with it develop that and, and make it the park that you yourself would want to stay at uh, would want to visit because when those days that are supposed to be 12 or 13 hours turn into 18 hours and you don't know when you're going to go to bed at night you don't feel so whipped if you're at this place that you love if you've built it into something that you love and enjoy being at and it's not just some place you go to make your money or go to work yeah there's a lot to that so it sounds like uh, you got some good guests this week brian uh, these two ladies got it going on this is great
4: I I love our campground. I think what was surprising for me was we opened up, did a soft opening in September. We had a couple of guests that had been watching the progress the entire time. And something that surprised me more than anything was how the guests felt when they came into the campground. Because like you said, what's your flavor? Our flavor was different than anything around there. Yeah, there's a KOA around us. There's a big conglomerate, huge RV park. They're both really nice RV parks, but they don't have the trees and the privacy and the shade and all that stuff that we have. And yeah, we offer a different flavor. And something that I noticed, I think it was it was a guest that we had. and she said, "I feel like Alice in Wonderland when I come out of my door every morning." And I was like, ah, like everything was worth it at that point. But I mean, it's that was part unexpected. of Alice
1: in Wonderland." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
4: I just, just, just want to crawl crawling in the trees and she's, I think, 70 something years old. And I was like, this is fantastic. I love it. That's where the reward comes in after those 18 hour days, honestly. Like it's amazing. For yeah, sure. And
2: I think
1: that's important, again, we, we just to play devil's advocate, right? There's this experience at every park to be had. Mm-hmm. you put thought into it, whether you understand your audience and your demographic and who you're trying to go after and all that kind of stuff, and then tailor that experience to that type of demographic is a whole nother thing. Yes. But yeah, I think that's the the magic trick is the, and sometimes you run into a trap too, where like you want to build a park and you realize that maybe you didn't do the research in advance and yep. the experience that you want to provide doesn't necessarily work, but then you retailer it and you still make it an experience that, so it, oh, it just requires sure. that thought.
4: In my past life is what I like to say. I've mentioned going to college earlier whenever I lived in an RV for the first time. I had no idea what I was doing. All I know is I couldn't afford the rent in Austin. It was crazy, and I was going to the University of Texas. And so I had a four-year-old daughter. I was a single mom, and I was like, "I guess I'm going to get an RV." I was—I did not know what I was doing. I literally crawled under the camper looking for the water hookup. <laughs> I had never stayed in one. Everything ended up breaking, and it was crazy. But that experience, or whatnot, that it, it, it's something that like I got to bring to the table, and and pair that with Josh's and then that's how uh, everything came to be a lot of times. And it's a serendipitous things and it works out. And I think that seeing it through the guests' eyes is something that's really important, especially if you've like you guys have been in the campground since y'all were younger. So y'all got to see it evolve and grow. I came into it like ten years ago, but I had so much in-depth experience with living it that it helped me figure out what we're doing. And then you pair that with Josh being able to the one behind it to make it happen. The marketing side though, like you were mentioning the demographics and stuff like that, that's something that really interested me as I was like, okay, I got to have that experience of seeing not only living it firsthand, but seeing how it's evolving and just all the different people that are coming into it. And I think it's also important to note that no matter where the economy is as well, it seems like campgrounds are going to do okay. Like whether it's good and you have more disposable income, you got the traveling side of it, right? And then if it's the economy is doing not so good, people are able to downsize and live in it. And that's like where I was 10 something years ago. I couldn't afford the rent. So I lived in a camper and it turned out to be this. When I say I lived in a camper, my closet was in a tent. Um, it was, I I look back at the owner of that RV park and I was like, bless her. I can't believe she let me do all of the things that I did. But yeah, it's, it's just evolved so much over the years because especially with COVID BC, like you said, people didn't really stay in campers very much. And then COVID happened and now people are like, oh, I can work from home so I can travel and Mm -hmm. have a market coming into it. So it's been Mm -hmm. really interesting to watch for sure.
3: Yeah.
1: All right, let's spend a couple minutes talking about uh, some of these upcoming conferences here since we've got the esteemed Marsha, president of NCA here. And you're, how many other, you're not even wearing a hat, but we all, (laughs) they must be invisible.
3: They are, yeah,
1: they're right there. All right. Tell us about NCA.
3: Yes. We're coming up on, our conference is coming up in March. It's going to be March 21st to the 23rd. It's the 58th annual conference. So NCA has been around for a real long time. Back in 1965 was the first conference. So this will be the 58th conference. We're going to be having some different speakers. We have a sergeant coming in to talk about guest experiences and how to best deal with the current climate that we have out there and some of the challenges that campground owners face when a guest comes in and they're not up on the camping etiquette that they should be or familiar with following the rules and guidelines that a campground would have. So we've had this Sergeant uh, Allen come to speak to NCA a few different times, and she's wonderful. She used to actually work in a campground when she was in high school so she um she's got some experience and uh, i think it's going to be a great one we're also doing a book club which is the first
1: drill sergeant right
3: a real sergeant like a a real yeah police sergeant
1: right okay she's not a drill sergeant in the army though no (laughs) long camper experience right when they're not following the rules
3: yeah that would be different all right go ahead Yes. But the other one we're doing is a book club and which I'm leading. This is the first time Cindy had a great idea. Cindy's amazing, but we're doing a book club, which is the ideal team player. So it's talking about building a culture at your campground and how you want that to look. What do you, how do you find the people to work for you? How do you build a culture? How does that culture go into your, your guests? Um, so it's, that's going to be fun. So when you register for the conference, You get a, we have a sponsor for the book. So you get the book ahead of time and then we'll have a book club at the conference. So
2: I've always,
1: I always loved attending NCA specifically for the education, And I would stay for all of it. Like I was a vendor half the time, right? But I would always, because Cindy was always she always planned some of the best education of all the conferences and it annoyed me half the time because she was like no you spoke last year you can't speak for another six years
3: <laughs> like, but i have good things
1: to say and she said, everybody says that <laughs> it ended up probably being right there was better yeah. than more important people to, to talk to but right. yeah i've always valued like the education piece has always been great cindy
3: shows yeah she's amazing she's got some good connections she's been the, she's been the executive director for 10 years and there's only been three executive directors for the since 1965 and her dad who's still with us is the most recent one out before hers and that was since 1990. so MCA's pretty much been governed by Cindy and her family since 1990 and it's been doing really well. We've got about 650 members that belong so out of 11 states. In the Northeast.
1: Do you know if they sent Cindy away for two years and then she had to come back? (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) So there are other ways to make the generational thing work. Okay, that's interesting. Greg, you're going to a lot of shows. Tell us what your plans are here.
2: Yeah, we did. So we've been to, Jeff and I have been to Ohio, formerly Arvik. And and for those of you that don't know, and Marcia, you might know Jeff Hoffman, my partner, been around forever. And I say that jokingly. And if you were here, he'd elbow me in the ribs, which I deserve. (laughs) But he has. He's now the treasurer of Ohio, and he's the president of our Ohio campground owners association because he does still own his KOA up Sandusky Bay shore near Cedar point. Yeah. We did. Oh, We did COE, the campground owners expo in Branson. We're going to be at the Ohio campground owners association show as well, of course. And then a smattering of other ones. I know he's going to be speaking at the Florida, Alabama show. And NCA. Think... <clears throat> I'm sorry. NCA.
4: <clears throat> NCA.
2: We, I don't know that one is on because it's so close to the OCOA show that I don't know that we will we make it over it, there, but it is later. It's What's that?
1: It's 20 days later.
2: Is it 20 days I, later? I'm glad you've got the calendar fired up. Cindy's going to be calling on.
4: you. That's fine.
2: <laughs> I, we I'm ready for a speaker spot. I've been trying and nobody wants to listen to me. It's just ah. Brian and that's all. <laughs> so yeah so we've got a few on our plate but not a bunch we had originally thought we were going to go hit all these different trade shows and then we realized that people were starting to call us and yeah we had to be a little more focused because it's just the two of us but yeah we've got a few on the schedule hopefully get to speak get a few of them i think jeff is doing the florida alabama thing because he has no choice i think somebody down there has him in a headlock and so he's going and he's been dying to get his motor home if you talk to him Almost the first thing he says is, my motorhome is still parked up here in the cold. I'm supposed to feel sorry for a guy that owns a motorhome and wants to take it south. I just, I, I, I don't know. Maybe you have a different take on that, Brian, but I don't, I don't feel sympathy for him at all. Did I stump you? No, did I, I go quiet? I Am I there? My
1: froze okay. for a second and I couldn't move my mouse, but... <laughs> No, I don't have, I don't even own a motorhome.
2: Yeah, exactly. This is what I'm saying. So I don't feel bad for him that he gets to go to Florida in February and talk and I'll still be here with our our clients in the Northeast. But yeah, they're tremendously valuable regardless what state you're in or what association you want to go to, just belong and go. It seems recently that things have gotten a little divisive with some of the associations depending on where you're from and what you're into. And I've been going since 94, when we bought our park, I, we, we went as owners, we went to Ohio, we were, or Arvik at the time we did the Ohio show religiously. We learned so much. And as you pointed out, Brian, the educational access uh, sessions are usually really good. It, it depends on what you're looking for. Right? So maybe you sit in on one you don't think is great, but the next one's great. And it's the networking time and Brian can speak to this a hundred percent because he is a big proponent of this, the best conversations that you have at those conferences that that I have, I should say, that I have ever had, they're hallway conversations, they're lunchtime conversations, they're not in sessions, I learn more from the professionals around me that are in my line of work than I do at any of the educational sessions, and that's not to put down anyone who does one, but there's just so much information to be gotten from your state and national and regional associations that, and if you can belong to four or five of them and go to all four or five shows, do it. Uh, you, you're going to come away so much better for it.
1: Yeah, that's what we did for I don't know how many years. Yeah, pre-COVID
2: or whatever. Yeah, and you Pre-COVID. did all the you did the small shows. You took the the state level shows seriously, whereas a lot of folks just go to the nationals and get mired down in the bigger shows. But you guys were at. I remember you were at Ohio forever. Yeah, yeah I don't mean to, to age you.
1: And it's like two thousand dollars to fly everywhere now. Yeah. Anyway. Maybe I'll see if I can. Do you think Cindy would let me stay at her house during conference? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, what else we got going on here? We got about eight minutes to wrap up here. Do we have any final thoughts on anything we've talked about? Generational camping, conference season, anything like that? Yes, someone. let to make up something else to talk about.
4: I haven't gone to a show yet, but I'm excited to go to one. I think we're going to go
1: to taco time. Taco's <laughs> coming up in, is it April or May? I think mean, Texas is having What it, was so. that
4: taco? They have yeah. taco. We are currently like at the point right now where we're expanding so much that we just want to, we have to get our, our bearings going first. Cause we're like, so on the ground, so involved right now, just doing can to get um, the back sites open. And then I think we're going to go to one of those, like as soon as possible, as soon as we can, I know that they're super helpful. When I was in marketing, I went to quite a few conferences here in Austin and for social media and things like that. And I met my PR person there. I met our social media strategist there, got their numbers, called them. So I think that like you were saying, Greg, it's a lot of the hallway conversations that you have that can help you out. I'm at the point right now where we're not really ready to delegate anything. We're still growing it. I feel like it's going to be super beneficial once we get to that level. So I'm excited to go to my first show, but I don't know when that's going to be. Probably within
1: a year, for sure. <laughs> all right. We'll consider Taco. It's right there. I, I can't remember if it's in April or May, but yeah. so let's like, I'm going on, we'll have conversations about this on future shows as we get closer to them, but what's, what's coming up here. So we have the Carolina show, which is happening at the end of January. Is it January this year? I feel like it's really early this year. I think you're, yep. I think it's the end of
2: January. The Carolinas, yeah. South
1: Carolina and also Georgia's, I think, lumped into there, right? They have yes. a smaller association, but yep. mm-hmm. so that'll be there. And then we have, and then there's a gap, right? And then Ohio is the next one, I think.
2: Yeah, so Ohio's I- the beginning March. of March. When is, MARVAC is also having a show. I can't remember now if that's Maybe mid-March.
1: I, don't- I have to get back to him about that. I don't know if I can, when that is. But
2: and Marvac- I know that's really, that might be really close to a Marsha show.
3: March and obviously- 21st.
1: Yeah, and Okay. since we don't have the Michigan person on the show and they're probably not watching the show, obviously Marsha wins, so.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's right.
3: Between there is the Waco. Ojai National School, which is yeah.
2: okay.
3: the last week of February. So
1: That's I'll be presenting
3: is. a class there.
1: Very cool. All right. Yeah. So the Ojai National School. And then we have, so Waco in March. We have NCA in March. There's one more in March, isn't there? I feel like there's another one in March. It's, we talked about Michigan. I thought there was another one in March. But but then Taco is later in April or May. I'm sorry. I can't remember taco off the top of my head. Florida's in May, right? Yep. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I have to speak at that one too. And I think that's it for the, I'm probably missing somebody. I'm sorry if I'm missing you, but so we'll talk about these. Oh, I think you right. got it. There's
2: uh, Wisconsin's in there somewhere too. Waco and Ooh, yeah. uh, you did. Okay. Sorry.
1: Yep we're registered for that one already but yeah it's super exciting one of those times of years where we're getting ready to for everybody to the vendors at least to travel like crazy to all the different shows
0: mm-hmm.
1: so, yeah excited to see what the, the springs and it'll be my first time and since covid going to a couple of these so just because i can't get out of here but i really have no time anymore it's crazy but i miss it i do miss going to all the shows so all right any final thoughts here we got four minutes to wrap up
3: I'm so grateful that you guys invited me on and I got to meet you, Casey, and got to see you, Greg. And i I love this industry. I think that the more we can share and collaborate and we compete for campers when we're side by side, but as an industry, we're non-competitive. We're more, we're more, we have more in common than we have not in common. I really just like the camaraderie and being able to talk to different people and share whatever we can.
4: Yeah, I agree, and thank you for having me on the show too. I appreciate. it. I really enjoyed meeting Marsha and Greg. That's, it's a, it's definitely like like you said, it's, it's you can. It's a group of people in a bubble that understand each other more than pretty much anyone else, and it's a, the drive for outdoor hospitality, like making guests happy, and I feel like that's such a giving, their way of giving to the community. So it's nice to meet like minded people. So thank y'all for having me on the show too. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. It was nice meeting you both as well. And uh, I'm sure this won't be the last time we're talking, but yeah, that, that feeling of community is excellent because we, so you curated inside your campground, right. But then you feel it amongst the other owners as whether it be at a conference or just running into them. We learned really early on that we weren't competing with the folks down the street, that they were actually our best friends. Mm-hmm. We had 12 parks in a 10 mile radius of us and we ended up buying equipment together and sharing tools and ideas and looking out for each other's parks. And it's very unlike any other industry. So it's outdoor hospitality. It's not just for the guests. It, it is for the owners and operators as well. And it really is. It's, it is a wonderful industry to be a part of. A really interesting discussion today. I was glad to be a part of it, especially hearing the, both from the seasoned veteran in Marsha and the, the relative newcomer in Kaylee. This was, yeah, I really enjoyed the discussion today. Thanks for having me on Brian.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys all for being here. I think we're, we're no reason to fill two more minutes with just me blathering on talking about stuff that nobody cares about. So we just wrap up and set you guys free for an hour, or a minute and a half early. So thank you guys for being here. I appreciate it. Next week, we'll be back with another show focused on that. It's our fourth week of so the RV industry. And I really appreciate you guys being here. And we'll talk to you soon. Hopefully thank see, you. see Thanks. you. Thanks.
2: Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Joining us for this episode of MC Fireside Chats with your host, Brian Searle. Have a suggestion for a show idea? Want your campground or company in a future episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Get your daily dose of news from moderncampground.com. And be sure to join us next week for more insights into the fascinating world of outdoor hospitality.